welcome to the Mindful Living Podcast. I'm your host, Athea Davis. Are you ready to become the person everyone loves, including yourself? Imagine being filled with purpose, joy, and focused energy every single day. I guide kids to gain their inner calm and adults to spark their inner child. Each week, I will give you fun, practical, and relatable, mindfully infused inspiration, insights, and information that you can directly apply in your life, family, and school or business. So let's get started. Hey there, and welcome to Mindful Living with me, your host, Athea Davis. You are listening to episode 114, The Path of the Mindful Teacher, with my special guest today, Danielle Neufer. I'm going to tell you all about Danielle here in just a moment, but I do want to give you a little snippet of what we talked about. We talked about the four noble truths of teaching, which she lays out in her new book, The Path of the Mindful Teacher. We also talk about doing the inner work of the educator, uh, the impact of self-inquiry work on students and culture, choosing calm over chaos, and of course, we dive deeply into her new book, The Path of the Mindful Teacher. Danielle Neufer has been teaching for 20 years, studying mindfulness for 10 and combining those fields for five. She is the founder of Teaching Well. As an ICF certified coach and mindful schools instructor, Danielle provides teacher wellness coaching and other services to time crunch teachers trying to find time for self-care. Danielle lives on a small urban homestead in Pennsylvania with her husband, two young sons, a dog, rabbit, and lots of honeybees. I do love some good honey, so I do hope you guys are harvesting some good honey, Danielle. Too bad we didn't get to talk about that. But we did talk about lots of amazing things, and as an educator, you're going to love this episode. So let me just contextualize this a little bit. When I say educator, I mean primary, secondary, post-secondary. If you're in an organization or a business and you are in charge of professional development, coaching, training, leadership training, you're going to gain a ton of value from our conversation together. So get ready, dive in, take some notes, and also uh, definitely check out Danielle's new book, Get a Copy of Your Own, and any other books in her publisher's uh, collection. Her publisher was so uh, kind to give our my listeners a code for 25% off of Danielle's new book, The Path of the Mindful Teacher and any other books in the wellness collection. Just use code Athea25, and you can also find that linked in the show notes. Enjoy my chat with Danielle Neufer here on episode 114 of Mindful Living with Athea Davis, The Path of the Mindful Teacher, and I will see you on the flip side. Enjoy. Well, hey, Danielle, I want to welcome you to Mindful Living with Athea Davis. Super happy to have you on the show today. Thanks so much for having me. You know, you have uh, a long background in education, 20 years. So I'm so curious. I love to start with my, the guests that I have on the show with their journey. You've been teaching for a long time and then you started studying mindfulness. You've been studying mindfulness for 10 years. What led you in that direction on that journey to study mindfulness and start and, and creating what you call teaching well? Thanks for, for asking that question. Um, do we have enough time for this journey, right? <laughs> um, so I started teaching in 2001, which was when No Child Left Behind in the United States became 
mandated and something that was um, was was something that we were supposed to do as teachers to teach to to attest. Um, but when I was in my college years, that was not what I was taught. So I came into the teaching profession very, very um, excited. You know, of course, I, I was really raring to go. And although I worked at really wonderful school districts, it was not anywhere near what um, I had anticipated teaching to look like for me. Um, and really for the first what, can you break that down even before you go further? So yeah. there's already like, it sounds like this big barricade that I want listeners to understand. You had this vision, you were super excited. It was not like that. What what was different from the vision to the reality? Well, teaching is very, very hard work. And I knew that it was going to be hard work, but I think I just thought going into it that I would have a lot of creative freedom and that we were going to do portfolios and I was going to teach them how to do all this creative stuff because I'm an English teacher and we were going to read all these great books and and I did a lot of those things but there was always this underlying um, expectation of the this this test and these tests that um, we kids would have to take and that was just the focus and the the philosophy of a lot of the schools no fault of their own just that's what that's what the culture and climate of the school was um and i just felt like i don't fit like i'm kind of an imposter like i should be doing these things that i don't really know how to do and really what i know how to do is to like connect with kids and i want to use literature for them to explore how they show up in the world and i had these like great um expectations of myself and I felt kind of like an imposter in my classroom like mm. I'm not supposed to be like what I wanted and knew how to do mm-hmm. wasn't what I was really supposed to be doing and I always felt like I'm going to be found out some- someday like they're going to figure out that I don't know what the heck I'm doing yeah. um, and I'm sure a lot of first-year teachers feel that way um it can be a, a little bit of a, an overwhelming and lonely profession, although we're surrounded by people all the time. Yeah. Um, but, but that took me, you know, through year five. And I remember my principal, and I don't really know what happened. If it was like my personal life was kind of a, a chaotic mess and that translated into my professional life kind of being a mess as well, or the other way around. Um, but I remember being asked to go into the principal's office, you know, as an actual teacher and him saying, you know, what's going on? Like in in a very caring way, like a very caring way. And, um, and I had to take a hard look at myself. Like, I don't know that I can keep doing what I'm doing, like working hard, but then, you know, having other personal, you know, teachers are people right? Like, no, the kids don't think that, but teachers are people. We have our own stuff going on. And, um, I, that summer, because it was close to summer vacation, um, really started to just kind of dive into like how to heal myself and how, Mm -hmm. how I could help myself. And, um, one of the many practices that I came to, to, to discover was mindfulness practice and among many other books and journaling and all of those things. Um, But I didn't really have 
And then for those next five years, started to slowly heal. But I, but I still wasn't like saying no at school or putting up those boundaries at school. Like I was, I was doing things outside of school to, mm-hmm. to increase my health and well-being. Um, but then I went through another bout of burnout because I didn't know how to say no. I didn't know how to keep boundaries. I didn't have any role models that were saying like, it's okay for you to go home at a reasonable time. Like teachers work hard. Like it's, it's a badge of honor in many cases to stay late, to come in early, to take work home over the weekends. And I really didn't know how to, to balance that. And Mm. eventually I discovered how mindfulness could be brought into the classroom. And really I started to integrate so much of my self-care into my everyday teaching practice, not just on the weekends or not just after school or not just during summer vacation. So let's pause for just a second. So uh, thank you for sharing a piece of your, your story. I was talking to someone the other day and, you know, typically, uh, you know, and, and very much so we we're in this conversation as well, just talking about journeys and what led us to these practices. And most people don't come to mindfulness or yoga practices because it feel they, they already feel amazing. There's usually something that's off, something's out of balance, something is painful, there's a challenge in a relationship, something doesn't feel right, and we're trying to figure out why and what we can do. And it sounds like you had one of those crossroad moments. Like you said, enough is enough with whatever pain that I feel. And whatever I've been doing isn't working. I need something else. Did you know about mindfulness? Did somebody recommend it? You know, was it the, the nature of the challenge that you were walking through that, 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 you know, was the huge influence for somehow guiding you to these practices? Can you dive into that piece a little bit more? And, yeah. and just like cover what you're comfortable with. Like, sure, sure, yeah. sure. So I... For whatever reason, I, I had always, so my dad, and, I, and I, I've written this a couple of times and he gets a kick out of this. He used to tell us he was meditating when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. And what I really think he was doing was sleeping and wanting us to just like let him be. And he mm-hmm. still says to this day, he was actually meditating. And um, I, so he was my first exposure to like, mindfulness to sitting still to mm-hmm. just like having some moments and space to himself and and I joke that he was like the first you know my first like meditation teacher because he would he would tell us like I'm just resting my eyes but I'm saying this th-, you know like he would tell us what his practice was and um, yeah. so I was kind of exposed to that in like a very very little way but I always say that that was kind of my spark that um you know it kept it kept coming up Um, I'm also a a big writer and, um, I went on a writing retreat that was about meditating and writing together before my five years of teaching had ever, it was in the midst of that. So I had kind of like had little tastes of these things like in my life. And, um, I just, I just kind of, these things just kept coming to me, right? Like I the see. writing retreat. And then I had a book that was about, you know, meditating. And so there were a lot of synchronicities. Yeah. Yes. Yes. They just like kind of kept coming to me and I kept like looking at them and, and trying things. And um, eventually I felt a little bit of relief. Mm. 
I like, I, 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 I identify with that. I, I, can you talk more about the relief that you felt like from what? From having to do it all, be mm. it all, um, be perfect. I mean, obviously it was a long journey, which yeah. is. And, and I uh, think what you're saying is what a lot of people might identify with. Be, be all of this. Parents, we've got to be all of this. Teachers, you've got to be all of this. Leaders, whatever you identify as, yeah. I've got to be it all. I've got to achieve this. I, my worth is tied up in all the things that I'm doing. And if I don't do this, then I am not worthy. Right. I am not worthy of love. Mm-hmm. Did you, did you go through that journey? Oh my gosh. Yes. Yeah. And like, as I said, I started kind of, I would say five years into teaching and I would say probably for the next 10 years, I went through this large journey of, of vacillating between, you know, those feelings like being okay. And then reverting back to, to no, I need to do more. And then I, I just, I would vacillate in between and, and, uh, usually ending up two steps ahead, right? Like I, you know, I would, I would end up coming out the other side, having learned something and having, um, and now I think I have a perspective of like, okay, what can I learn from this emotional turmoil that I went through? Or look, I scheduled myself too much. What do I need to do differently? Not I should do more. Like I, I've kind of come to the other side where I, I can recognize when I get into that habit, um, or into that, um, you know, that cycle, Mm-hmm. And I'm able to give myself a little bit of grace and say, okay, that that's not working for you. Let's, let's try something else instead of doing more and wearing that busy badge. I like to call like, you know, um, that I'm not enough. If I don't keep doing, 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 I, I realize a little quicker. Is that the relief that you felt like in yeah. these moments where you were engaged in these practices and, and you talk about like nibbling on them a little bit more, a little bit more curiosity. Like, hmm, that's interesting. I feel, and you said relief, relief. And when you say that, are you saying you feel relief from this constant, like, I'm not, I don't feel worthy, so I have to do more. And I get like, that might not be a conscious driver that you're actually saying that, but what you might actually be saying is, oh, I, or, or noticing is like, I keep saying yes to all these things. And then I just feel like cruddy because I have no time to myself. And then it feels awful inside because I'm a big hot mess from that. Right, right. And, and I think it was the ability to give myself, again, that permission. Like, you don't have to say yes to all this stuff maybe by you saying no, you're allowing others an opportunity to serve. You know, you I had to reframe. Mm-hmm. Mm, reframe. I love that. And I just, I was thinking, I have just, I've heard so many, and maybe you have too, educators having issues with boundaries. Mm-hmm. And it's just a pattern I've seen. I'm not saying all educators are like that, but I'm curious, do you think it has something to do with being female? And do you think it has something to do with being a teacher? Does it being a teacher attract, like, are we attracted to that? Is it female? What do you think in your experience that you've discovered? Why do I keep saying yes when I really want to say no? I think this is going to be the work of my next book, what Mm. you're asking me right now, because that is something that I have like mulled over and I try not to say teachers are this but you know I don't want to I don't want to get into like we're all this 
monolith, but I do feel like it's a very, it's a caring profession. It's a caring profession, which naturally lends itself to external, like wanting to, to care for and um, make or give students like the best that you can and mm-hmm. offer them the, the most that you have. Um, but I also feel like as a female, and I'll speak for myself as a female teacher, as a female in general, I don't know how much I was taught about having my own boundaries and that being okay without mm-hmm. being thought of as, you know, unapproachable or, you know, like there wasn't, there weren't many role models for me. And I'll speak for myself that I saw where you could have boundaries in a way that was um, not perceived as something other than you, you didn't really care all that much, you know, like, Mm -hmm. um, and if you don't care, then you're not a real woman. And so who are you or a real teacher? Right. What are you doing here? Right. If you're not, you don't belong. Yeah. If you're not burned out, you're doing something wrong. Like is kind of the, the way I felt like it was almost like expected. And if you were like, for, for some time, and I, I tell the story in a lot of different places, it's like, I was, I remember distinctly being asked by the custodian. Um, and he was, he was just asking, he's like, how do you get out of here so early? Like, he asked that to me, like with when I was like, really trying to work on my own self care and boundaries. And I said, and I got really like, oh my gosh, is everybody seeing me leaving early and thinking I'm doing something wrong when really I was trying to be very efficient. I was getting my systems down. Like I was doing a really good job. Like I was doing mm-hmm. a really good job. Nobody had said anything about, but he was really curious because he didn't see teachers leaving early or not early, but on time, on yeah. time is early. Uh, yeah. Uh, and I was just like, oh my gosh, I'm going to get in trouble for like putting up this boundary and saying, no, I'm leaving at whatever time I needed to leave that day. Um, so I, I really felt like I was out on, you know, on an island by myself in a lot of ways. Um, that's so interesting. You know, I wonder sometimes about the, the, the issue with time, you know, like when you leave on time, you're leaving early. And do you think that was something that came from the administration that you're working in? Or was that just like this? this expectation an unspoken expectation of a teacher that everybody just kind of accepts because that's what you see. Yeah. I definitely did not feel that stress from my administrators. I'm sure mm-hmm. that that is the case in some schools, but I definitely did not feel any sort of pressure from them um, in any kind of way. Mm-hmm. I think it was, that's just what you do. And that's what you heard from the people that, you know, if I would talk to teachers who are first year teachers and I was in college still, like you stayed late, you, if you're an English teacher, like I was an English teacher, like, well, expect your weekends to be taken up by grading papers. And I kind of just like thought that was normal until I started to really try to figure out okay, what are my strengths? What, what tasks can I stack? Like I really started to really like look at how I was running my classroom and, and that was self-care in and of itself was trying to figure out how to do things more efficiently. Um, 
Okay. So I know everybody wants to know what you figured out because whether you're teaching or you're in some other position, I think that what you're getting at is super important. How can we be efficient with our time, uh, mindful of our time? And so we can have, you know, everybody or not everybody, but there's just a lot of people that say, I don't have time to you know, journal, or I don't have time to read or time to meditate, da, 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 you know, you've heard all of this. And then when you get intentional about your time and you carve out your day and you say, you know what, from 5am to 7am, this is what I'm going to do when I'm at school or I'm at work or I'm at my desk, this is what I'm going to do, you know, and you are in charge of your time instead of allowing the time to be in charge of you. I think you can start seeing shifts, but I'm so curious about your own experience. Number one, there's probably a couple of questions in here. How did mindfulness help you become more efficient and getting some control over your schedule so you could get some of your life back? So that, that is really, I think where it all began for me, it was that through my mindfulness practice, I started to see, okay, what's really important? And also, how can I actually focus my attention on this thing fully instead of thinking that multitasking really gets me ahead? Because it doesn't. Mm. Um, so, so I think what I recommend to teachers that I work with is really scheduling the time for you first. So putting it, like you said, like, how am I starting my, my day and like really being intentional, like scheduling that time for yourself, just like you would schedule an appointment with a friend. And if you have to reschedule, you'd reschedule with a friend. So you need to reschedule with yourself. Mm -hmm. Um, the other thing that I, I think was helpful is that I took myself a little less seriously as my mindfulness practice grew. Um, and I started being able to be curious instead of judgmental, like, oh, yeah. that worked, but this didn't. Um, okay, I wanted to grade 10 papers. That was my goal. Oh, I only got to five. Okay, what's that about? Was I really focused or was I just saying I was focused, but I was also checking my email? So like, but but being coming with it at, as with curiosity rather than judgment, like, oh, Danielle, mm. you're supposed to do this. It just, it just took um, a little bit of the pressure away. I think the other thing was realizing that a lot of the things that I was doing, I didn't need to do. So getting honest about what people were noticing, like, do I have to put a page of notes on a kid's paper? No, maybe I just need to have a conversation with him. So really as a teacher thinking about like, am I just doing something because I've always done it on autopilot? Yeah. Or when I bring my mindfulness practice to like really thinking about the things that I'm doing, what's absolutely essential that I do? How, what's meaningful about what I'm doing? And like actually questioning, why am I doing X, Y, and Z if it's not working? And is anybody going to notice if I stop? Yeah, I love that. It makes me think of, um, there's, I think Stephen Covey talks about this with his quadrants. I don't know if you've ever read the, his book or are familiar with the quadrants he's, he talks about, but the way he categorizes it. And I can't remember, it's been a long time since I've read it, but like he goes through in terms of like time management, you know, like what is really important 
And then you want to spend a good percentage of time on that, like your most important things. And then some things are classified as um, like really important, but there's no deadline around it. So we typically might think of something like, what's going to fulfill me, right? Like I need that, whether it's professional learning, self-care, time away with family, those kinds of things. But that is really important. And we tend to like put that on the back burner thinking because there's no deadline around it that I'm not going to spend time on that. And then we let other things that have deadlines that are not important, like rule all of this energy in our mind space. And so uh, it made me think of the quadrant. So if anybody hasn't read the book for sure, we're going to get into your book. I'm so happy to share uh, the path of the mindful teacher. We'll get into that a little bit later, but just, I, I love the idea of classifying time in, in the quadrants. It's very helpful, at least for me, when I'm thinking about what's important um, and what is like my priority. Can I fit it? I've heard other people talk about like, can I fit it on a post-it note? What are the things I have to do today? I might have a long list and those things might still be things I need and want to do, but what can I get done today? And I'm like a post-it note queen. I have so many of them. I probably, I like wear them all the time, different colors, different sizes. So my lists are always changing what I think I can do in a given day. And so I want to really hone in on what you said because you talked about like, having a frame of reference of curiosity versus judgment. So the more that we can lean into being curious about our systems or not having systems and seeing this isn't working, what will work? I don't know. Let me try writing it on a post-it note. Let me put it on the calendar or whatever it is. And did that work? Yes. No. And then it's like, Okay, the scientific method, right? Like I hypothesize this might work. Well, let's do a little experiment and run it through that whole, the whole method thing. And we get data and that data can inform how we can be um, you know, more efficient and productive. And I think there's something really important in terms of just like holding a healthy spiritual space, mind, heart, and body when we do that from a place of curiosity. Because clearly, like Danielle, you know, when we get into that judgment phase, like I'm terrible, I suck, I do this, we get into negative thoughts, it crushes our confidence and our energy. We're less productive, we're grumpier, we just spread the bad vibes all over the place and nobody wants that. So <laughs> absolutely. So what practices were you doing? that were really helping give you clarity and leaning into curiosity? I think um, one of the biggest practices that I continue to do is self-compassion practice. Mm. So that's one of the biggest um, mindfulness practices that I try to, I always come back to it. I, I have a, a, I have a painted sign on my office that says today I will practice self-compassion. So it's there with me all the time. And I think that has allowed me to, to bring that curiosity in without the judgment more often than not and more mm -hmm. often than before. Yeah. Um, I love that self-compassion. And I think when we talk about judgment, it's something that happens. It's like you have to retrain your mind not to go in that direction. So then there's all, then there's also like, I just judge myself. So let me judge me for judging myself. And so remembering, okay, wait, here, where's the self-compassion? Like we, we all fall 
you know, uh, pray to this thing in our minds where we have that tendency to, to judge and to steep ourselves in that compassion. So, you know what? It's okay. I'm not going to go there this time. It's okay that I did. Let me try again. Let me try a new. So I love that you have a sign and almost like a mantra or a reminder to not do, uh, to not do the judgment thing and lean into that curiosity more. So it sounds like that really was a lifesaver for you that, that leaning into the curiosity and getting your systems uh, really in place have given you freedom to have time. I mean, I can you explain like, and, 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 or in a way that listeners can really feel that the difference that has made in your in your life to have these kinds of systems in place and. And for those listening, it may look different for you. You may be a teacher and you may have to say, what systems can I look at this coming school year? You may be a parent looking at what systems do I need to be more efficient with my time? You're a human and you're in an environment working somewhere, doing something. If, you know, systems in place can be very valuable to giving you your freedom back in terms of time. So I'm curious, like what that difference was for you. Well, I think I didn't even realize that that's what was happening, that I was putting in place systems slowly. Mm-hmm. And then, like you said, I ended up having just more time, even though I wasn't necessarily less busy. Like yeah. I still had... A, many, many responsibilities. Um, so I think it just felt like I was in flow, like I was in this flow with certain things. I mean, so, you know, living mindfully, obviously you don't want to say you're on autopilot, but having systems in place, I didn't need to give my attention to what needs to be done because I had a system in place where I would write them, them down in this certain spot. And then I would know what, on what days I would do different things. And I would do copying on what, you know, so like I had those things already in place. So I didn't need to think about when am I going to get the copies done for this next unit plan? So just mm-hmm. as a teacher example, yeah. um, when am I going to get the grading done? Because I knew on Thursdays and Fridays, I would do all the grading. And then, you know, so like I had those things that, so I didn't have to use my brain power to figure out any of that stuff that was already like mapped out and then I could be more creative I could have more um, interesting lesson plans I could do things after school that maybe I used to spend time grading you know so like it, it just allowed my me to open myself up more and like you said that freedom yeah I love that I love that I mean I know it's not like super fun to think about, let me think about systems and let me figure out like how to do that. I mean, that's why we are resistant to it, you know, because the front work is not super sexy or fun, uh, but the the result of it is that you have that freedom and the time back, even though that you're doing just as much, you're just doing um, so much more with the time that you already have. And so, um, and I love like self-compassion. That's something that for me, this past school year, this past year, definitely during the pandemic, lots of adapting, lots of stress, so much emotional, um, just, it's been taxing emotionally, just a lot. And so 
having the self-compassion to know, like, I don't have to get it perfect. I don't have to get it right. That's okay. This is different. Building new systems, you know, for a new season sometimes is what we need to do as well. So Danielle, I want to kind of, I want to transition into your book a little bit. So you have this book, The Path of the Mindful Teacher, and you have this great graphic on the inside, The Four Noble Truths of Teaching. And so I would like you to kind of give us a thumbnail sketch of what those four noble truths of teaching are. Yes. So this, again, was one of the, the things that I, I, in my journey, like started reading a lot and I, I came across, you know, obviously the four noble truths is, is from Buddhist text. Um, Mm -hmm. although this is a very secular book. And when I looked at the, the four noble truths of, of living essentially, um, I thought, well, could that be adapted to, to teachers? Mm -hmm. And when I looked at it, you know, the first noble truth is that or for teaching first four noble truths of teaching is the teaching life is difficult, full of stress and things that are beyond our control. Well, I couldn't think of anything more true for teaching, you know, yeah. as a teacher, we have so much that we aren't in control of, and that can be so defeating if that is our primary focus. Um, the second noble truth is that much of our stress comes from not being able to manage the external factors. Um, so that is very, like, it's real. Like the fact that you can't control these things is real and it's frustrating. The third noble truth is that there is an actual solution. And the fourth noble truth is that the solution is to look inside ourselves. What can we control and focus on those things? Ultimately, it's not that the other things don't matter. It's just that if you, if we let all those things stop us from doing the work of, um, that, that needs to be done internally, like, then none of that's going to get worked out anyway, because we're not going to be able to be present for it. So I'm so curious, you know, based on these four noble truths of teaching, you mentioned earlier, you know, in your own personal experience with mindfulness practices, and then you started incorporating these into your classroom. What does that look like on a practical uh, level? So what it looks like is a lot of practice. <laughs> um, so I, I still have a formal mindfulness practice that I do outside of school, which is my practice. Like that, I, that I call it my practice. And then my classroom is like the game. Like mm-hmm. it's the real, it's the real deal. And what it looks like for me or what it has looked like for me, if you were an outside observer, you might not think anything looks different to you but it feels different to me. And I'll give you an example. So when I would teach before, I would be very uh, like reactive to kids. Mm -hmm. Um, I would be very like putting out fires. Um, And now that so a simple mindfulness practice that I would bring to my classroom isn't necessarily teaching kids anything it's more okay um, I'm feeling like my heart racing or my my face is getting flushed what's going on can I take three breaths and can I go over and put myself closer to that student who might be doing something that's like um, you know 
would have normally frustrated me that I'd be yelling at him across the room. I'm going to put myself closer to that student and actually try to get his attention in a way that is about him and not about me just needing to control a situation. So yeah. I, I'm not, I don't know that you would say that anything is, it's, I'm different. So my students haven't been different. My class sizes are not different. I don't teach a different level of kid, but I respond or more times I respond to their behaviors and to their needs in a way that's more individualized rather than just autopilot reacting yeah. and putting out fires. If that makes sense. It does make sense. So you're modeling, right? In a sense to your students or not in a sense, but you are, you're modeling, you know, the practices of let me yeah. detach from this stressful situation, the students frustrating me. Um, I feel that my stress level is rising because I feel my heart rate going up and I'm getting red and I want to, normally I might just like raise my voice or yell across the room, stop, you know, whatever it is. And then what in the practices, let me detach what's going on inside, take a breath. What does a student actually need versus what you were doing before? Do you talk to your students about that? So they are picking up the terminology or what's going on or how you're choosing to respond differently. So they're learning these practices in a way that they can use in their own social and emotional learning development. So, yeah, I do. I, I do definitely, I will say to them sometimes, like, I need a moment to just breathe right now, guys. Like mm -hmm. I'm getting frustrated. Give me it. So I will tell them how I'm feeling rather than bottling it up and then it, it exploding later on or in a different class altogether because that can sometimes happen too. Mm -hmm. um, so, in, and I do teach them mindfulness practices in, in not even sometimes intentionally, sometimes just through me telling them what's going on with me and, you know, proceeding in a different way than perhaps yeah. I would have before. I love that. You know, I think there's so much power in the language that we're sharing and what's going on with us internally, emotionally, socially, and how our students are picking that up because they're definitely learning more from what we're doing than what we're actually saying. So kudos to you for really like taking on the practice and, and practicing it. As you say, you know, I, I often say like the game of life or the game of like what's going on in your classroom. Like this is where you really take the, the theory, these big, you know, have concepts and get to put them into practice. That's the hard work. Uh, and I, which leads me to, I want, you know, to ask you this question as a teacher, why do you think it's so important for teachers to commit to doing that kind of inner work? Is it so that they can just have more time in their daily life? Is that just one reason or, or what is really like that big impact that, that, occurs when teachers take on this inner work of getting in tune and more present and slowing down? I think that it, the benefits can be many fold. Um, I think that one of the biggest things that I've seen is that I definitely have been able to connect with my students 
so much more now that I've been practicing mindfulness. I thought I could, I was building relationships with them and I, and I was like, I was, I was building relationships with them, but now I, I realize the importance of, um, seeing them as individuals, getting to, to know who they are and their backstory. And, and, um, and I think that just makes me a more effective teacher. I also think this just makes me in general, has made me in general, a more, um, just a, a more present human being. So in all of my relationships with myself, with my spouse, with my children, um, cause these, these exercise, I mean, they, like you said, it could be the game of life. It could be the, whatever work you're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, these practices, when we, when we put them into practice, like in the heat of the moment, um, I think they just make us better at being present with whatever place we're, we're in. Yeah, definitely. And, and how do you think these, and we kind of talked a little bit about this a moment ago, but, um, how do you think showing up like that versus not showing up in that way? If I didn't have a mindfulness practice is impacting our students and, and their course of development through, um, you know, through school and through life. I think for me, if you would ask my students who had me in my first years of teaching versus the students that have me as their teacher now, um, I'd be curious to see if this is true, but I, I would say that I was, I just was much more chaotic. I don't know what other word to say, but like Mm -hmm. just much more like just on edge and chaotic and just not present. Like I was just, I could, and I'm making this, I can't, I know none of your listeners can see me like making this, like just very tense Mm -hmm. and not that I'm not intense or, or, you know, it's not a hundred percent all the time, but I just feel like I can breathe more as a teacher. Um, now that I have just, I feel, I feel more grounded and more centered and I can just, um, give that, give, give more of myself to my students without being so tense and, and, uh, chaotic. Mm, And I, and what I hear you saying too, is in that state of being grounded that, it's easier to connect that way, right? There's a resonance there. It's easy, more approachable, um, more trust, more all the things. It's just, it's a a space that where we can truly find that connection. And, you know, I get what you were saying, like you were already building relationships with your kids. Of course, teachers do that. Yet there's maybe a little bit more of a authentic flair in, in in this turn when you were like, pre-mindfulness versus post-mindfulness practice and how you were showing up in the classroom. Do you think that you're, yeah, go ahead. Oh, I'm sorry. And I was just going to say also, I think that when you say the authentic, um, the authenticity of it, I'm more honest with them about where I'm at. That doesn't mean I tell them all my problems, but I, but like I tell them, you know what, today I'm just like, I'm having a day and I need to like, and I know you say that differently depending on what age group you teach, Yeah. but I, I feel much freer to be able to be human. Not perfect. Right. <laughs> right? Yes. Like to remind our students yes. um, 
and just our kids, like of our humanity. Yes. Yeah. And do you think that's positively impacted the teachers that you work with in the schools? Yeah. I, you mean for me to, yeah, to share like that the, with them? The, yeah. For you to share it with them, just your presence, you know, and how you're showing up with your students. Well, certainly if you're doing that with your students, that is how you're showing up on your campus. And so there's a certain energy that you emanate from, from that space. Yeah, I think I, I feel fortunate that so many of my colleagues have um, wanted to, to like learn about the work that I'm doing with mindfulness and mm -hmm. have definitely brought some of those things into their classrooms. So I feel like um, I work with a wonderful group of people who, who, you know, of course, some people probably think I'm, you know, this woo woo teacher. And I'm like, no, really, I'm like, really not. Um, <laughs> I really am not. But, uh, you know, some people may think that, but they, but all have been able to, to give it a, give it a chance, especially when I think, um, you know, when they hear students talking about mindfulness or students talking about these things, like it, it resonates, you know, when it's, not just coming from me, but from other teachers and then other, other kids as well. I love that. And just want to acknowledge you for being that presence, because I think just like students learn more from what we, who we are and what we do versus what we say, you know, those around us do too. And I think that is, you know, hugely impactful. Um, how do you choose calm over chaos and serenity over stress? It's, something that you have to, I, the word is choose. Like that's, that's, that's the word that I really want people to hear is that we are not powerless. Like we can choose. And it doesn't mean that it's like one choice and done. Like I'm going to choose to be calm. Like that's it. It's choosing and then doing the work. And that's what, that's what the book is about, is about giving people the the map and the path to do the work so that it's a choice but they don't have to do it on their own yeah i love that really underscoring and underlining the word choose we can make a choice in the moment to respond or to react and if we do react we come back to that place of self-compassion we're not perfect we can acknowledge that and try again <laughs> mm -hmm. I want to uh, transition into rapid fire, and then I want to spend some a little bit of time talking about your book, The Mindful Teacher, where people can buy it, all of that. Ra uh, rapid fire is just where I ask some big life questions. Uh, whatever word or phrase comes to your mind, that's what you share. And if you get no word, that's an answer too. No pressure, Danielle. So it's <laughs> all for fun. All right. So grab your favorite cup of cafe mojo. It's water for you, tea for me. Here we go. Rapid fire question number one, what do you believe? That we have a choice. Mm, that's powerful. What are you grateful for? All of the twists and turns. What sustains you? My family. And you are on Mindful Living with Athea Davis. So Danielle, I love to ask my guests, what does Mindful Living mean to you? Simply beginning again each and every day. I love that. Beginning again. All right. Well, you have a book, The Path of the Mindful Teacher. Tell us um, why should teachers be reading this book? Where can they purchase it? 
So teachers should be reading this book because this is a, an unprecedented time in our world and especially for teachers. And I, uh, we may feel like we don't have a lot in our control mm -hmm. and oftentimes we don't, but I really believe that this book empowers teachers to have a path where they can, they can walk this path outlined in the book. Um, and by the end, some, sometimes teachers don't want to be teachers anymore and that's okay too. So like, it's a book for, for people who are teaching and, um, that will guide them to feeling empowered that, that they do have choices and that they don't have to be at the mercy of everybody else choosing for them. Awesome. Definitely get The Path of the Mindful Teacher. They can get it anywhere online. Um, yep. Yeah. And okay. you could also go to teachingmall.life forward slash book. Okay. And then that will take you to all the different links of all the different options to buy the book. Okay. Awesome. And I think... Um, we will definitely be getting a code that I'll be sharing at the beginning of our conversation for those listening to this podcast episode, um, a special code to get a copy for yourself. Um, where can they connect with you online and social media and all the things to stay connected with you? So the best place to get in touch with me would be my website, teachingwell.life. Um, I'm also on Instagram. I'm teachingwell.danielle. Um, and on Facebook, you can find me at Teaching Well Danielle as well. Awesome, Danielle. Thank you so much for your time today, for the work that you've put into your book, The Mindful Teacher, or The Path of the Mindful Teacher. I have really enjoyed our conversation, and I know our listeners will gain, my listeners will gain a lot of value from our talk today. So thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Hey there, and welcome back to the flip side of my chat with Danielle Neufer here on episode 114 of Mindful Living with Athea Davis, The Path of the Mindful Teacher. I know you gained a lot of insight and value from our conversation, particularly for those in the teaching field in any capacity, whether that's in the traditional school setting, post-secondary, or you're in an organization or business, uh, you know, in charge of professional development, leadership training, etc. Make sure to go grab a copy of Danielle's book and check out all the other books and her publisher's wellness collection, and you can receive 25% off her new book and all the other ones in the wellness or well-being collection using code Athea25. All right. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure to take a screenshot, post it out there on your stories, tag me at Athea Davis, tag Danielle Newfer. I will make sure to include those social media handles in this uh, show notes. And if you are not connected to me on social media, I would love to be friends and to connect. Always posting uh, all things uh, under that big category, mindful living out there in the social world, love to engage in thoughtful conversations and would love to be connected. So you can follow me at Athea Davis. I am on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Um, did I leave some? Oh, LinkedIn. <laughs> there we go. All the places and spaces. So would love to connect and please subscribe if you haven't already. And I would love a rate and review. means a lot to me to hear how you are gaining value from tuning into the show. 
And if you gained uh, value from this episode or any others, make sure to share this episode and other ones that you've listened to with a friend or family member so they can receive some of that mindful living love. I hope you're doing well out there and reminding you to tune into and spread the awesome sauce here, there, and everywhere. And I will see you in the next episode. Bye for now. Thank you for listening to the Mindful Living Podcast with me, your host, Athea Davis. Think of me as your extra sparkly, good vibes, and no-nonsense guide, reminding you to take intentional action and choose to be the person today you want to become tomorrow. The world needs your sparkle, your joy, your gifts in action. Speaking of, I have a free gift for all my podcast listeners. Go now and subscribe to my email list and get your free health and wellness guide, Awesome Sauce Insights at soulsenseyoga.com. And take a moment to rate and review my podcast on iTunes or wherever you may find yourself listening to Mindful Living with Athea Davis. I truly appreciate your time and feedback so I can continue to deliver valuable content to each of you. Until next time, have an awesome sauce day, friends.